From the wilderness of Kodiak Island, Alaska, this is Murder and Mystery in the Last Frontier with your host, Robin Bearfield. In a land full of peril and vicious animals, humans are the most dangerous predators of all. People imagine snow, ice, and bitter cold when they think of Alaska in January. But Alaska is a big place. I live on Kodiak Island in the southern part of the state, and the winter temperature here averages around 35 degrees Fahrenheit, or 1.7 degrees Celsius. That may seem cold if you're from California, South America, or Australia, but it is not a harsh winter temperature for most of the United States. For a January podcast, though, I thought I'd give you a taste of Alaska at its coldest. Grab a blanket and a cup of hot cocoa and pull your chair up beside the fire while I tell you about a brutal crime near the Arctic Circle in January, where the temperature hovered at minus 50 degrees Fahrenheit or minus 45.6 degrees Celsius, when someone shot three men on a caribou hunting expedition and left them to die in their tent. Welcome to Murder and Mystery in the Last Frontier. I'm your host, Robin Bearfield, and I'm broadcasting from the heart of the Kodiak National Wildlife Refuge on Kodiak Island in Alaska. Bitter cold, a clash of cultures, and a language barrier all played a part in this crime. But the primary cause, sadly, was something we see often in all cultures. A father gave his son a gift he believed would make his son more of a man and help him find his way in the world. Unfortunately, the father did not understand his son and his son's problems, and his well-meaning present ended up causing his son great harm and ending the lives of three good men. Kiana, Alaska is an Anupiak Eskimo village with approximately 300 residents, located in northwestern Alaska, 30 miles or 48.3 kilometers north of the Arctic Circle, and 57 miles or 91.7 kilometers east of Kotzebue. The village sits near the confluence of the Squirrel and Kobuk Rivers. In late January at the Arctic Circle, the sun rises just before noon and sets in the late afternoon. Extreme cold temperatures hold a grip on Kiana in January, but the folks who call the Arctic tundra home are well adapted to frigid temperatures and limited daylight. On January 25, 1970, a pilot flying a local physician on a wolf hunting trip buzzed low over the Kobuk River and was surprised to spot a man holding his hands above his head. The man was miles from any habitation, standing in the middle of the frozen tundra. When the Cessna flew over him, the man collapsed onto the snow, and the pilot landed the plane on its skis near him. The pilot and doctor soon realized the young man was little more than a teenager 
and blood spattered his clothing. He got to his feet and could barely walk as he stumbled toward the plane. The physician helped him into the back of the plane, and the young man told the doctor and pilot he had been part of a hunting party of four men. The other men all had been murdered, but he managed to escape. He explained the bodies of the other men were miles away at their camp on the Kobuk River. He said he left them there and walked all night trying to make his way back to Kiana. After telling his story, the young man lost consciousness. The pilot flew the young man back to Kiana, where he was taken to a local clinic. The pilot then radioed State Trooper Bob Boatwright in Kotzebue and told him the story his passenger had just relayed. Next, the pilot flew back up the Kobuk River toward the hunter's camp. He circled the camp and saw one body sprawled on the ground outside the tent but he saw no sign of life in the camp. Since the sun was dropping below the horizon, he returned to Kiana for the night. By the time Trooper Boatwright and Kotzebue Chief of Police William Stevens arrived in Kiana, it was too dark to travel to the hunting camp. So instead, they went to the clinic to check on the patient. The young Caucasian man was now conscious and his condition had improved. He told the officers he was 19 years old, and his name was Norman Leroy Johnson, but he went by the nickname Butch. His father was a foreman for the Alaska Housing Authority and was responsible for building houses in small, remote communities. Butch said his father had given him a new rifle for Christmas and had arranged for Butch to go on a caribou hunting trip with three Inupiaq men from the village of Kiana where his father currently worked. Butch's hunting companions were Freddie Jackson, Oscar Henry, and Clarence Arnold, all from Kiana. Butch told the officers a stranger stopped by the hunting camp the previous night and murdered his fellow hunters. The next morning, Boatwright and Stevens flew up to the hunting camp, where they found an eight by 10-foot tent 50 yards from the north side of the Kobuk River. Two snow machines with gear sleds attached were parked at the camp. They saw rifles and shell casings near the tent and several gutted caribou strung up nearby. The body of Frederick Jackson lay sprawled on his stomach in front of the tent. He had been shot several times. Blood stains led from his body to the interior of the tent, indicating he had been shot in the tent and had stumbled outside where he fell. The officers found the body of Clarence Arnold face down on the floor inside the tent, and he also had been shot numerous times. Oscar Henry's body lay toward the rear of the tent, his hands grasping his pants as if he had been pulling them up when he was attacked. In addition to being shot, Henry had also been hit in the head several times with a heavy object. Multiple bullet holes pierced the tent and the objects inside it. From the changing trajectory of the bullets entering the tent, the officers concluded the killer walked around the outside perimeter of the tent while shooting at it. Numerous boot tracks surrounding the exterior of the tent supported this hypothesis. Officers found shell casings from several different rifles, both inside and outside the tent. 
When Trooper Boatwright and Chief Stevens returned to Kiana, they found tensions high in the community. Three well-respected men from the village had been murdered, and residents believed the young white man in the hunting party must be responsible for their deaths. Boatwright called the Fairbanks Trooper Post and requested the help of Trooper Lori Shurich. In addition to being the first Inupiaq ever to become an Alaska State Trooper, Shurich was also a former resident of the village of Kiana. Boatwright felt with his background, Shurich would be a valuable asset to the investigation, and he could communicate with the residents of the village in a way other law enforcement officers could not. With Butch's father present, Boatwright and Stevens interviewed Butch again. Butch said he left Kiana on the morning of January 23rd, riding on the sled behind Freddie Jackson's snow machine. When they arrived at the hunting camp, Clarence Arnold and Oscar Henry were already there and had set up the tent. The next morning, the Anupiaks spotted a small caribou herd a few miles from their tent and they sped toward the herd on their snow machines. Butch once again rode on the sled behind Freddy's snow machine, but as they crossed over the rough terrain, he could not hold on and was tossed out of the sled. The men feared if they stopped to pick up Butch, they would lose sight of the caribou herd and their chance to supply their village with fresh meat. They continued toward the caribou herd, planning to return for Butch after they shot the caribou. Butch was furious his fellow hunters had left him alone on the tundra, and he wondered if they planned to return for him. Slowly, he started following the sleds on foot. Butch told the troopers by the time he caught up with the Anupiaq hunters, they had already shot the caribou and were dressing the animals. He said after they returned to their tent for the evening, another Anupiaq man, Clarence Wood, drove up to their camp on his snow machine and stayed for dinner. The Anupiaks spoke in Yupik, so Butch did not understand what they were saying, but he said it sounded like a friendly conversation. After dinner, Wood left, and Butch said the men were crawling into their sleeping bags when they heard a snow machine approach their tent and stop. According to Butch, the other men went outside the tent to greet the newcomer, and a fight ensued. He said the stranger started his snow machine and began to drive away, but then returned. Meanwhile, the hunters were getting ready for bed when the stranger began shooting at the tent. Butch said he slipped out of his bag under the rear tent flap and hid in the brush while the stranger continued to shoot at the tent. Finally, the man stopped shooting, got on his snow machine, and departed. After the stranger left, Butch said he went into the tent where he found his three fellow hunters dead. He grabbed his gear and attempted to start one of the snow machines, but the engine would not fire in the frigid temperatures. So he began hiking toward Kiana, with the temperature dipping to minus 50 degrees Fahrenheit or minus 45.6 degrees Celsius. He walked more than 38 miles or 61.2 kilometers before the airplane stopped for him. Butch told the troopers he did not shoot his fellow hunters, but he could identify the man who had killed them. 
As tensions grew in Kiana, animosity toward the few white residents increased. When Trooper Shurich arrived, he calmed the villagers and promised them the troopers would find and arrest the person who had murdered their friends. Trooper Boatwright told Butch and his father to leave the village immediately and fly to Anchorage, where they would be met by troopers for further questioning. Troopers located and interviewed Clarence Wood, the man who had stopped by the hunting camp and stayed for dinner the night of the murders. Wood told the troopers Butch barely spoke a word while he was at the camp, and the other men said the boy had fallen off the sled and had been forced to walk 10 miles or 16 kilometers to the site of the hunt. They said Butch was unhappy about being left alone and was upset at not being included in the hunt. Wood explained he left the camp immediately after dinner and knew nothing about the murders. When Butch and his father arrived in Anchorage, they were interviewed at the trooper office by Trooper Sergeant Tom Anderson, Corporal Dean Bivens, and Sergeant Bill Nix. Nix wasted no time with small talk. He assumed an aggressive posture and called Butch a liar. He said the men were not shot by another Eskimo, and he told Butch it was time to tell the truth. It took troopers less than two minutes to break Butch. He admitted he killed Freddie, Clarence, and Oscar. He said after everyone went to bed, he got up to urinate, picked up a rifle, and fired it seven times into the tent. Then he picked up Freddie's rifle and fired it until it was empty. He said someone came out of the tent and he grabbed another rifle and shot him. Then he went inside and got his clothes. He tried to start one of the snow machines, but it was dead, so he grabbed a rifle and started walking. Butch said he did not know why he killed the men. He felt no animosity toward them. When troopers reconstructed the murder scene, they determined events happened in a slightly different manner than Butch claimed. They found evidence indicating Butch headed down the trail, not realizing two of the men in the camp were still alive. When he heard Freddie Jackson try to start a snow machine, he ran back to the camp and shot him. Then he went into the tent and saw Oscar Henry still alive, so he beat Oscar in the head with the butt of the gun until he died. Butch then buried the bloody gun in the snow where the troopers retrieved it. Butch Johnson was tried in Anchorage in January 1971, one year after the murders. Psychiatrist J. Ray Langdon testified on Johnson's behalf and said Butch had suffered a psychotic lapse and was divorced from reality at the time of the shootings. Butch admitted he was disturbed as he watched the Inupiaqs butcher the caribou and he felt disgust when one of the men slid open a female caribou, exposing an unborn calf inside her. Langdon and psychiatrist Barbara Ure testified Butch had a psychotic break when confronted by the extremely cold weather, the language barrier with the Inupiaqs, who often spoke their native Yupik, and the blood and carnage of the caribou hunt. Ure said he was already insecure as to who he was. Having lost contact with his culture and his geography, he felt displaced. 
he had absolutely no preparation for this caribou hunt. Butch was indeed a troubled young man. He had been diagnosed with latent schizophrenia, which, if exacerbated, could present itself as a paranoid or persecution psychosis. Butch had a low IQ, struggled in school, could not hold a job. He suffered low self-esteem, and his father believed a wilderness hunting trip might improve his self-confidence. The judge denied Butch Johnson's plea of temporary insanity and found him guilty of three counts of second-degree murder. The judge sentenced him to life in prison, but ordered he be given proper psychiatric treatment. The judge did not set a date for when Butch would be eligible for parole. Johnson served most of his time in California, and to the dismay of the residents of Kiana and the Alaska State Troopers, Butch was released on parole after serving only four years in prison. Butch Johnson's father undoubtedly believed he was helping his son by giving him a rifle and arranging a hunting trip in the Arctic wilderness. But he had to be aware of his son's psychological problems and should have known his issues could not so easily be remedied. Sending his withdrawn son on his first hunt in minus 50-degree weather with men who spoke a language and observed customs foreign to Butch was not only poor judgment, but could be considered criminal. Freddie Jackson, Oscar Henry, and Clarence Arnold agreed as a favor to Mr. Johnson to take his son Butch hunting with them. And as repayment for their generosity, Butch murdered them. Thank you for listening, and please check the show notes to find references for this podcast. I am an author, and I write Alaska Wilderness Mysteries. I've written four novels set in the wilderness of Kodiak Island. I also write a monthly newsletter about murder and mystery in Alaska. Check the show notes for more information on my novels and my newsletter. I'll be back soon with the next episode of Murder and Mystery in the last frontier.